see that little blue line go across. So I'll have a smile on my face just in case. Are those carrots hanging from your ears? Yeah, car carrot earrings, aren't they cute? I think I might've got them at the San Francisco Veg Fest. Hey everybody, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Before I introduce today's guest, I just wanna let you know that yesterday on the show with the Shares Eyes, many of you were putting in the chat box that you weren't, be you weren't being notified when I go live. I apologize for that. I have no control over Facebook and YouTube, but I'd like to make a suggestion that maybe consider getting on my mailing list. It's free. We don't really send out that many, but once a week, actually, on Saturdays, we send out the week schedule and the show is live every day at 11 a.m. Pacific time. It's been live every day for, since March 20th. This is my 330th show. Sometimes we do a bonus show at 2 p.m. So I would recommend that. And also, if you have a choice of watching between Facebook and YouTube, I really recommend YouTube. Five times as many people watch on YouTube because it just doesn't doesn't always work on Facebook, but more importantly, when there's a guest with a recipe, you can't see it on Facebook because Facebook doesn't have show notes. So that's my spiel for today. And without further ado, today's guest is somebody that I met about 17 years ago when I attended the Living Life Culinary Arts Institute, which at the time it was in Harbin Hot Springs. And she was the founder of this wonderful culinary school that I graduated from. And her name is Sherry Soria, and she is broadcasting live from Costa Rica. Please welcome her to the show. Hi, Sherry. It's great to see you again after all these years. Hi, AJ. It's great to see you too. You look fabulous and I know you're doing such good work. It's really wonderful to see. Oh, well, thank you so much. And you know, you look fabulous. You're, you're 73, right? Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I guess my biggest question is I've had several septuagenarians on the phone that are exclusively plant eaters. Linda Middlesworth, who's 76, Victoria Moran, who's 70, Karen Calabrese, 75. I've even had 80 year old vegans like Dr. Betty. And I've had Elaine Lalane, who's not vegan, but eats a lot of vegetables, 94. Do you think it's a coincidence that you guys look so good? Is it just genetic? Or do you think some of your lifestyle is contributing to the fact that you guys are aging so beautifully and gracefully? Well, I can't speak to other people as far as whether they have good genetics or not, but I can tell you that in my case, it's definitely not genetics because I can compare myself to all my other relatives and I look considerably different from them. My whole lifestyle, is, I should say, is totally different from them. So for me, it's definitely lifestyle. And no question about it, diet is the foundation for me. I have been a plant eater for almost 50 years. And the, the big thing I think that you're seeing with all of us septuagenarians that, that you think look young is just that we're not aging prematurely because of the way we're eating. So it's not so much that we're not aging, of course we're aging, but we're not aging prematurely. We're aging naturally. And, um, and, and as I say, for me, the foundation is always fuel, you know, how we fuel our body. I don't like to put anything in my mouth that isn't gonna provide me with, with optimal nutrition. And that's why I can do all of the things I do. You know, you probably know I'm an I'm a, I'm a ultra marathon runner and I didn't even start running until I was 65. And for my 73rd birthday, I ran 73 kilometers, which is 45 miles. And I couldn't do that if I wasn't fueling my body. It's like, you know, you have a race car, you're gonna give it the right fuel. And when you build a house, you have to give it, you know, build the right foundation. And that's what, that's what I feel that I do with my, with my food. Food is necessary. I mean, of course it's necessary, but if you want to stay healthy and fit 
and not age prematurely, then you've got to give yourself the right fuel. Now, I knew you ran, but I had no idea you were an ultra marathoner. When and how did this start? Well, some friends of mine, uh, actually some employees at Living Light, were running in a local 10K race, and they asked Dan and I if we wanted to join them. And Dan and I weren't runners at the time. We had been practicing karate um, kind of sporadically because Living Light took up most of our time. But um, we said, sure, we wanted to participate. And so we had about a week to train for it. And I didn't even know what 10K was, by the way, for those of you who don't know, it's six miles. And I had tried running years before and I always had knee problems or ankle problems, but I really wanted to do this. So Dan and I ran three times before the race and we never ran anywhere near five or six miles, but we decided that our goal was going to be to run the whole thing. We didn't have to run it fast, but we couldn't walk. We really wanted to run it. And so we did. And I'm telling you, we, we hurt so badly for weeks after that. I don't recommend anybody running a race without training for it first, but that's what we did. And, uh, but it, it made me realize that I didn't want to get older and not even be able to run without pain. So we decided to just to keep doing it and it was fun. We had fun. We were joining local races and um, it got to be where I really looked forward to it. And I was, we were training and then we discovered trail running and oh my gosh, that was what really made me fall in love with running. Because before that, I was doing it because I thought it would be good for me. And then when I discovered trail running out in nature, it was like, I, I fell in love. I would be running through the woods with tears streaming out of my eyes. I was so happy. I was so grateful. I felt like, I don't know, I was touched by God. <laughs> it was amazing. And that's what I, that's what got me into ultra marathoning because in ultra marathoning, you're running trails and you can be in different environments, but quite frequently you're in, you're, you know, you're out in a beautiful setting with, of nature and, uh, and walking is perfectly acceptable in, in ultra marathoning. In fact, the credo is you, you run when you can and walk when you must. So sometimes you have to walk up, you know, you're running in the mountains, you're running in all different kinds of conditions. Um, we just finished a 50 kilometer race. That's a 30, 30 plus miles it's, um, on the side of a, an active volcano. And it was pouring rain. We had mud, it was steep. There were, you know, I mean, extreme conditions. And yet, because we had trained for it, we were really, we were able to do it. And it, we had fun. And sometimes you have to walk. You can't run in mud on running down steep slopes. You know, you have to be able to, to walk. So there's, um, you know, there's a, a, a way to be an ultra marathoner. You don't have to be an extraordinary athlete to do it. And a lot of people are doing it that are older, maybe not as old as I am. In fact, I'm usually the only person over 70 <laughs> at any of these events that I go to. Um, but but it, it can be done. I mean, it, and it's fun. It's wonderful. It makes me feel alive. That's amazing. What, what, do the, what do the other people say when they see you? Do they, are they impressed? Are they like, wow? I mean, cause not, not that you look old, but I'm guessing that the average age of the people doing the ultra marathons are pro is probably a little less than you. Oh yeah, they're, they're definitely, I only know one woman personally that's over 70 that runs and she has, she does run ultra marathons and she's a beautiful woman. Um, but I don't know if people realize how old I am 
um, they know that I'm older, of course. I mean, I have gray hair. I'm, I'm, I have wrinkles. You know, I'm not, I don't look like I'm 40. And that's probably, I would say, the majority of people who run uh, ultra marathons are in their 30s and 40s. But there are people in their 50s, not so many women in their 60s, and, and I haven't seen any others in their 70s. But, but, you know, when I graduated from high school, women weren't allowed to run. In, like in the Boston Marathon, they, women weren't allowed in. It finally came sometime after, I, I don't know, I was in my 20s when a woman crashed the Boston Marathon and they tried to drag her out. Um, and men surrounded her. They, were, they, were, they thought it was so cool that a woman was running and she finished. And that was the first time that a woman had run in any kind of a, an event like that. Um, so I didn't grow up thinking that women could do that. But um, now I would say that the majority of, of ultra marathons that I'm in are at least half women, sometimes more than half women. So times have changed. We've come a long way, baby. I was just thinking in my head, we've come a long way, baby, because I didn't realize that women were banned from running marathons. I mean, I'm old enough to remember not being allowed to wear pants at school, like like a, like having to wear a dress. I'm like, I hate I hate dresses. I hate skirts. And until uh, like I was in my teens, that was you had to, you know, there was no choice. And, and then and then there was a transition period. Well, you could wear pants under a dress. And I'm like, that's the stupidest thing ever. And I remember I couldn't take wood shop. I couldn't take all the things I wanted to do in high school. I wanted to take wood shop. I wanted to take plastics. I wanted to take auto shop. And I couldn't, I had, you know, I could take sewing or cooking. It's like, you know, it's probably good because I ended up a chef. That, that, I got to tell you, Sherry, home economics was a great class. And I think men should have had to take it because they got rid of those electives. As I, as high school ended, there was no more physical education. There was no more home ec. But home ec was a great class because even though I went to your culinary school, a lot of the foundations I actually learned, like like chemical, like why things work. And I was I was just thinking about that. And, and, and even in band, I the instrument I wanted to play was was either the uh, the trumpet, the saxophone, or the drums. But we only had three choices as girls. We could play well. There was four. We could play flute, piccolo, French horn, or clarinet, and that was it. Like why why are some instruments for boys and some instruments for girls? That makes no sense. Well, fortunately, that's all changed, hasn't it? And now we even have a woman for vice president. <laughs> I know it's so exciting. It's so exciting. So you mentioned that you didn't think you won the genetic lottery based on uh, the outcomes of everyone else in your family. Tell me a little bit about your, your, your genetics and, and when you decided to change your diet, because 50 years, you got me beat by seven eating plants. When and how did you change your diet and why? Well, when I was growing up, my, well, my mother died when I was four and my sister died when I was 12. She was only 10. And I had a cousin who had both of his legs cut off in a desperate attempt to save his life from diabetes. And I grew up, you know, being afraid, being afraid of, of having those things happen to me. And so I started reading at a very young age. I started reading about health and I, you know, they were really fringe books in those days, uh, not very many of them. And people were kind of quirky, I guess, um, that, that didn't eat meat. And everybody thought that I would die, including my parents, of course. They, but I saw my father kill my pet chicken when I was five. And that, so before I even started putting all that together about health might be impacted by what you eat, I already didn't really want to eat animals because when I saw my father kill my pet chicken, that is what really made me realize where meat comes from. 
And I didn't want to eat meat after that. And I had, they made me sit at the table until everybody else was in bed because I wouldn't eat it. And, you know, finally I started eating it because it was such a problem not to. Then when I graduated from high school, I stopped eating, I was on my own and I stopped eating meat. And uh, I guess I was about 21 or 22 when I stopped. And, you know, that really took me down a totally different path because I had been very sickly as a child. I mean, I always got everything that went around. I got it, you name it, mono and whatever, all of it. And, um, and so I started getting healthier right away. And I wasn't even eating a healthy diet, really. I just wasn't eating meat. <laughs> but, but now, of course, I'm over the top with my choice and my food choices as far as health is concerned. I mean, organic food and we drink a lot of juices and smoothies and we don't eat 100% raw food at all. Um, we do eat cooked food, but we're really, really conscientious about the kind of cooking that we do and, and, and what we eat. I mean, we just don't eat junk food at all. And, um, and I, I just, I know that that's what has made the difference for me and in, in my life compared to my, my relatives who are, you know, I mean, I love them, but they have weight problems. They, they don't, I have still weigh the same as I did when I was in my twenties. And, uh, and I can actually do more now with my body than I could when I was in my twenties because I'm, tr I train to do it, you know, so it hasn't stopped for me. It's just gotten better in that, in that way. And my husband, Dan, too, he's 67, I think. And um, uh, he runs right along with me. I mean, we run together. We do all these races together. We run five days a week. And uh, we have a personal trainer three days a week. And we see a physical therapist one day a week. I mean, what better way to spend your money? We don't, you know, we don't go out and, you know, <laughs> spend money on fancy meals and restaurants and stuff. We buy really good food. We have a good time making beautiful food for ourselves, and we really enjoy being out in nature. Here we are in Costa Rica, and uh, we're building a house here, by the way, and it's almost finished, um, and with a swimming pool, that we, a, a lap pool, so we want to really get into swimming a, a lot more because we, I think as we age, we're going to want to maybe switch and not do quite so much of the long-distance adventure endurance races. Um, that we've been doing part of part of that is because it takes a lot of travel. Um, we we've run in the Alps and in Bhutan. We did a 12 day um, race in Bhutan where we ran every day and camped along the way. And that's all great. I mean, I, they told me that I was the oldest person who'd ever done anything like that. Who's ever even attempted the snowman trail, which is what we, we were on. And I just think that probably as I get older, I'm going to want to be home more. And so we're building a house that we want to be home in. And um, especially now, I think we're making the right decision with COVID. And who knows how many more of these kinds of things are going to happen in our lifetime. Wow. Yeah. So we're thinking about the future as well as the present. You know, my, my, I had a similar story too. Like I'm, I wanted to be vegan and like, I, what is it with parents that they don't let kids do that? Because until the, the day I left home, September 1st, 1977, I was 17. I mean, I didn't, I didn't seek to eat them, but I didn't, I, I, I wasn't like strong enough, like Genesis Butler and just said, Hey, I, I'm not eating that. I mean, if I, you know, but like, why do you think parents force their kids to eat meat when they don't want to? Because they're misinformed because, because there's been this, um, you know, this whole campaign 
about you you have to eat meat and you have to drink milk to build healthy bodies and it's taught to us in school and of course it's done as you know by the meat and dairy industry that give uh, give the schools donate to the schools all kinds of educational materials and 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 posters that say that you have to eat dairy products you know to be healthy drink your milk and uh, so that you can grow up to be strong and healthy and of course we know that isn't true. It's surprising to me, though, with all, everything that's in the news, that people still believe that. That, you know, how can you do all of this and be plant-based? Well, I couldn't do this if I wasn't plant-based. I mean, that's the, that's the fact. Absolutely. So, um, as Susan says, does she still have a vegan cooking school in California? No. About three years ago, Dan and I retired because we thought, you know, it's time to let somebody else take the reins and it's time for us now to move on. We did it for 20 years and we were just ready for a change and we got so much more into running and everything that we just wanted more time to ourselves. <clears throat> so um, we sold the school to a nonprofit and we had high hopes that they would take the school into other countries. And that was the whole idea was we wanted it to go international. And, you know, we had students from over 63 different countries come to the school um, while we were there. And it, it was an international school and it was a licensed culinary school, the only licensed uh, plant-based culinary school ever in California. And um, I think maybe only the second one in the US. Um, and anyway, so we, we did find a buyer, a, um, a, a nonprofit, and they had high hopes, but it just didn't go well for them, unfortunately. And about a year ago, they, the school closed. And I think they're hoping to reopen it again. And it probably would have closed anyway with COVID. I mean, nobody could, it, we couldn't have kept it open. And so honestly, we're, we're grateful that, you know, we didn't know anything of this was going to happen. We just knew that it was time for us to move on. Um, but thank goodness we did it when we did. And I'm so, I was very sad. I was actually quite crushed when I found out that the school was closing. I know a lot of other people had high hopes and had dreamt of going to the school for years and waiting for their children to grow up and you know how that is. But, um, but there are other schools that are opening now. Um, Mark Renfield and um, um, Elena Love has, a, has you know, not a full-time school, but she does teach uh, chef training now and then. And, uh, and there's just so much more going on now. You can learn from so many videos on YouTube. And that wasn't available. As you know, when I started the school, there was nothing like that. So, so there's more available to people now. Are you doing anything with cooking or cooking demos anymore? Or are you kind of retired from that as well? Well, right now I've retired from it only because, well, two reasons. One is we really had to get some travel out of our system. You know, we had been working 24 seven for 20 years, running the school and, and so forth. And it was a big job. We had 40 employees and, and we had a cafe and we had a culinary store and the school and we, we put on um, events and, and everything. And it was a big job. And so we were ready to do some traveling. And we, so we traveled for a good 18 months. And uh, then we decided it was time to build our house. We've had a house here in Costa Rica for about 10 years, we built a small guest house on property that we bought and we reclaimed it. It was a cattle growing country. So it was quite unpleasant, but it had a beautiful view. And we could imagine what it would be like if the cattle were gone and trees were planted. And indeed it's now a paradise. 
Um, but we built a guest house on it and that's where we would always come when we would have a few weeks uh, available to us and enjoy Costa Rica and always knew that when we retired, we would build a house here on the same property and that our guest house would really be a guest house for other people, for friends like you, <laughs> come to Costa Rica. And, uh, and we have an, an amazing kitchen that I've built. At, uh, we've built both inside and outside. So we have an outside kitchen with a big space so that we can have community events and pop-up uh, dinners and we can have classes there. And it's not going to be a formal thing like Living Light was, just, you know, some classes and, and, and um, just enjoy sharing with people. So I do have that plan in a future. Um, and my kitchen is so amazing. I even have a juice bar because ju Dan and I juice a lot and our juice bar is fantastic. I mean, it has a pass-through window out to this magnificent patio with a view of the jungle and the ocean. And I just can't wait to start juicing there. Oh my God, that sounds incredible. Is you know, the Costa Rica is one of the blue zones. Is all of Costa Rica a blue zone or, or just parts of it? And are, do you live in a blue zone now? We live in the only blue zone in, in I think, Latin America, um, certainly in Central America. I believe it's all in all of Latin America is the blue zone of the Nicoya Peninsula. That's where we live. We live on the tip of the Nicoya Peninsula in a small village called Montezuma. And, um, and we love it here. Victoris Kovinskis is a neighbor of ours, by the way. He lives here as well. And, uh, and there's a great community here of expats. We really love it. And we get all such amazing organic food at our farmer's market. And we just have everything we need. The thing I love about Costa Rica is the, the, the variety um, of everything that's here. I mean, the, the, the wildlife and the plant life and nature. And people really care about their environment here. There's so much diversity and people really want it to stay diverse. Um, people care about, um, about each other. We have, um, we have something called Seguro, which is national um, healthcare and, um, and education is, is also. Uh, and it, it's just, it's not like other places that you think of. It's not like Mexico. It's not like a lot of other places that you think of. It's not really a third world country. In fact, it's less and less like a second world country because there's just so much infrastructure now, much, much more than there was when we first started coming here. When we first started coming here, it took a long time to get where we are and to, to travel from uh, where you fly in in San Jose, you would have to drive for several hours to get to where we live in Montezuma. And now you still have to drive about an hour to get to the ferry and then the ferry is an hour and a half and then it's another 45 minutes or so to get to our house. And we're about 10 minutes from the ocean. We can see the ocean, but we, and we can run to the ocean, but um, I wouldn't, you know, I, most of the time we would just get in our car and go to the beach. Wow. So we're getting a lot of questions on how beautiful your hair and skin are and if you have any beauty tips or secrets or is it just the diet? It's the diet. I don't have any. I, I wash my hair about once a week. <laughs> I rinse it well to get the sweat out every day because I run um, and I put conditioner in it that I just leave in and sometimes I use argon oil at night. Um, that's about the only and I don't use anything on my skin because it makes me perspire. I feel like my pores are clogged. Um, I have, uh, I will confess that I have uh, cosmetic, um, uh, you know, permanent makeup. 
you know what tattoo tattoo eyebrows and tattoo eyeliner so that I don't have to wear makeup unless I really want to but no I don't I don't use don't do any of that and my hair is naturally curly sometimes I wish it wasn't but you know we all have our burdens to bear well, it's beautiful. You know, it's so funny. It just seems like all the vegans I know are ending up in Costa Rica. Before we came on, I mentioned that Cyrus Kambada of Mastering Diabetes lived there. And we have a guest on the show in the next couple of weeks. His name is Ryan Flegel, and he has a, a retreat there now. But what's funny, and this is kind of interesting, is he was the person, the very first culinary school I ever taught of, taught at 21 years ago, he had founded in Santa Monica. And now he, it's like, all you guys are ending up there. It's like, we got to go, I guess. Yes, you do. Yeah. Yeah. It's really it's really beautiful here. Yeah. So, you know, people are asking like things like our juice is fattening. I don't think so. I'm well, I mean, not if they're green juice, that's what I'm drinking now. And uh, you know what you eat in a day. And, you know, I just, I, you know, I'm not raw. I was for a couple of years. I mean, it's not that I don't eat raw food. Obviously fruit is raw. Salad is raw, but like when, no, I, see, <laughs> when, when I see people like you and Karen Calabrese, I'm thinking, well, maybe I should just eat less cooked food, but I live, I'm always cold. And that was, that's the biggest part of, that's why I moved to the desert because like when it's 120 here, here, I'm like, nice, you know? <laughs> and in the desert, 120 doesn't feel as hot as 80 or 90 does here in Costa Rica because it's dry and here it's humid. And so like when we run, for example, we run really early in the morning because the humidity is very difficult to, you know, to really get a lot of running in the sun and in, in this kind of humidity where in the desert, it's, it's a lot easier. But I love the warm weather too. I, I'm really tired of cold weather. And that's another thing that brings us here is the weather. And people talk about the rainy season. We have two seasons here. We don't have spring and fall and summer. We have kind of a summer and a winter, really. It's called the green season or the rainy season and summer or dry season. But the rainy season is still warm. I mean, when we run and we go out and running in the rain, it's wonderful. I love it. Um, it so it never really gets cold here. And you would like that. Uh, yeah, I do. I don't like the cold. So, so, so when I, I want to know about living light, like how did you decide to start a cooking school? Did you always cook? Were you always interested in creating food? I, I always was interested in creating food. I won my first cooking contest when I was 12 with a recipe um, a cookie recipe. And I found out that people really love you if you make cookies. So I just started making cookies for all my friends and they all wanted to learn how to do it. And all, so all my life, really, I read cookbooks like other kids read, you know, fairy tales. And I learned about how to cook from books. And also from, there were two television shows that I used to watch, um, The Galloping Gourmet and, uh, and The French Chef. And I learned a lot from them. I never went to culinary school. But I started teaching when I was really young. I, I, all my friends wanted to know how to, how to make the great food that I was making, especially after I started eating all plant-based foods. They wanted to know how to do that. And, um, and I started teaching through community colleges and I just got bigger and bigger. And pretty soon, uh, you know, people were coming from longer distances away to my classes. And I started teaching through the, through the vegan um, conferences like the North American Vegetarian Society. Well, I know you do a lot of classes through NAVS and, um, and there was the American Vegan Society and there were several of them. Some of them aren't there, aren't, aren't around anymore. And so I was doing a lot of those classes and always progressing, always reading and finding out more and more about health and because that was really my motivation. 
Although I did find that once I stopped eating meat, I started realizing that I could, didn't want to hurt any animals and, you know, take the life of an animal. So it kind of spread. It went from my health to, um, to the health of animals or caring for animals and then to the spiritual um, aspect of the lighter you eat, the less, um, the less harm you do, the more connected you are to, to, your, to spirit. And so it's really mental, physical, spiritual, um, all of it. And, um, and then when I started, uh, started reading about Ann Wigmore, I learned about the power of healing through raw foods. And I went to, to Puerto Rico, not Costa Rica, but Puerto Rico. And I studied with Dr. Ann. She was still alive at the time. She died a year or two later in a fire. Um, and I, I was amazed at what I saw there with people who were they came in really sick. Sometimes they couldn't even walk. And after a, a couple of weeks of eating only raw food, mostly soups, energy soup, they called it, which is like our green soups. Um, they were not only walking, but they were walking on the beach and walking up the stairs and miraculous healing. And I could really see the power of raw foods. At the time, I wasn't planning on, you know, eating all raw food or anything like that. I just wanted to know what what this woman was doing because she was healing people with AIDS and cancer. And, you know, I was curious about that. I left there knowing that my, my goal was to teach people how to make this diet delicious because if it wasn't delicious, they weren't going to stick with it. And I saw lots of people who were coming back for the second, third, fourth time because they went home and they got back on their old way of eating and they got sick again and had to come back again. So I knew that the food had to be nurturing and delicious as well as nourishing. And I, you know, I had a talent for that. So I took four months, no classes, not teaching anybody and just developed gourmet raw food. And um, then when Victoria Skolvinskas, uh, who is the father of, of living food, um, tasted my food, he said, you really have to teach chefs how to make this food. I mean, every, this should be available in all the restaurants in the world. And that got me. I thought, okay, I have a mandate from somebody that I really look up to. He thinks that what I'm doing is, is the right thing to do and I should do more of it. So, so that's what I did. I, within two weeks, I had the, the, um, the concept, Living Light Culinary Institute. The reason that I called it Living Light is because when, when Dr. Ann tasted my food when I was at the clinic, she said, you will be a beacon of light for my teachings. And I, I felt that this food was light. It, it, it had light energy. And if I was going to be, be a beacon of light, then my school was going to be living light. And that's how it started. That's great. Well, your food is beautiful and delicious. And you've written lots of books. Tell us about your books, because I, I have at least two of them, I know. Yes. Well, I started with, with um, Angel Foods. And there were no raw food books at the time. And I couldn't get a publisher to publish it. I, I started by adding some cooked recipes to it. It has 125 cooked recipes and 125 raw recipes, but it is all vegan. And um, I, I had to self-publish it because nobody would take it. Um, and then a few years later, then publishers started knocking on my door and wanting it because it, they saw that it was popular and it was a trend and people did want this because at first people said, who wants raw food? I mean, what's that all about? Um, so I have that book, and then I wrote a book with DeSanto Molina and Brenda Davis 
uh, called Raw Food Revolution Diet. And my husband, Dan, and I wrote Raw Food for Dummies. And that's a funny story because they started wooing us, I, I would say. They wanted us to write uh, Raw Food for Dummies. If I had never had a dummies book in my life, I, I didn't even like the word dummies, so I never would even look at those books. So they started sending me their books. And every month I was getting a different dummies book until finally I, I realized what they were up to. And I thought, you know, this is, this is a good thing. And people thought I was crazy telling me, you've got to do this book. Are you crazy? Of course, you, you'll reach an audience that you would never reach otherwise. So, um, so Dan and I wrote Raw Food for Dummies. And, um, and then I've written a book called Comiendo Pura Vida, which means eating pure life. It was in, written in Spanish. It was for the Latin American market. Um, and then many, many, uh, you know, ebooks, lots of ebooks. When I had Living Light, I was always putting out ebooks. That's so. great. I thought, you know, I, I wonder when you were talking about Ann Wigmore healing people of all these uh, diseases, do you think it's the rawness that heals the people or just, that, you know, I, I, my question is, because nobody's ever really studied this. And I, my, I was raw for two years, real strict, and I couldn't sustain it. Be, and, and that's why I went to your culinary school. It wasn't because, I, I don't know if you know this, I wasn't trying to be a chef. What happened to me is I was diagnosed with precancerous polyps in my colon on, uh, in 2003. And on July 6, 2003, I went to the Optimum Health Institute. And that's where I learned about, I didn't, I never even heard of raw food or living food. I mean, I just went there and I didn't even go there because I was trying to get better. I went there because I, I was told I was going to have to have surgery because they couldn't remove them because my colon was so messed up. And there's nothing that scares me more than an anesthesia. I have a, like a big phobia of it. But when I went there, that's when I heard about all the benefits and, it, it, you know, the food there doesn't taste very good, Sherry, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't taste like your food, but I, you know, I stuck with it for a couple of years, but that's really, so I went to your culinary school just so that the food would taste better, you know? And, and so I know that that diet healed me, but you know, you, I was on such a crappy vegan diet for the 26 years before, you know? And so, you know, you wonder like if I had found Dr. McDougal then and went to there, would I have healed too? So I guess my question is, is what is so special and wonderful about raw food? Because I'm inspired because when I see see people like you and Karen Calabrese and, and Karen and Regina talk about it. It's like, yeah, that's for me, but I, it just sounds so much harder. I don't think it's harder. I think it's actually, it, it's not any harder. You don't have any pots and pans to scrub. You know? um, I don't know. I, I think that the biggest thing is that you take people off of the food that's killing them. You know, that's the biggest thing. And then because you're, 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 Eat, on a raw food diet, you're eating very selectively. Um, you're eating foods that, that, you know, you wouldn't eat raw potatoes and raw rice and, you know, raw, raw beans. And you would, you're eating live living food, food that really gives you energy and has all the phytonutrients intact. And none of the, like the vi vitamin C and, and is harmed after it's cooked at a certain temperature. And so a lot of foods have different thresholds that they are, all foods have different thresholds where they're still nourishing um, and they're not st starting to lose their nutritional value because of the heat that's, that's, that you, you know, when you cook them. And so I think that they give you more energy. I, I eat cooked food, but I definitely, it, 
puts me to sleep. <laughs> I don't have the same level of energy that I have when I eat when I eat raw food. And when I'm going to run, I can't possibly have like I can't eat legumes or something like that before I run. If I want to maintain my energy, I have a smoothie. You know, I might have like a, an oat cake or a little bit of oatmeal. If I'm going to be running all day long, I have to have some kind of food. Um, but that's about it uh, because I just, I can't digest food when I'm that active. So um, I drink, a, we, we eat, we have a giant smoothie with all the colors of the rainbow every day. We have uh, green juice every day. We have celery juice every day. We hydrate really well with lemon water and, um, and you know, those are the main staples for us, but we definitely also eat potatoes and squash and some foods that you have to cook. I love legumes. I'm, I come from a Mexican heritage and I love legumes and, and I don't, I don't do well with rice. Rice gives me mucus, makes me stuffy and stuff. So I, I don't really, I'm not big on grains, but uh, quinoa, I like quinoa, but it's not something I eat every day. Um, you know, you mentioned how um, when I was raw, I, I barely needed sleep. And if, I, I, I don't know, I like sleep, you know, <laughs> for some reason. It just seems like you get so supercharged on living foods. Yes, I like to sleep too, but I can, I can only get so much sleep and then I'm just laying in bed wanting to get up. You know, <laughs> I mean, if you've had enough sleep, you've had enough sleep. I enjoy going to sleep because I'm ready to go to sleep and I'm ready to, you know, relax. But then when I wake up and it's time to get up, I'm excited about getting up and, you know, getting on with my life. <laughs> and it's true. You don't need as much sleep when you eat raw. One thing is, is that I eat light. I eat light at night and I eat early because I go to bed early. So we get up frequently at 3.30 in the morning. And that sounds crazy to a lot of people, but we like to run, you know, really early and I get, you know, I get up and make juice and I want to sit down and have a cup of my, my, I make my own chai with a non-caffeine chai and, uh, and relax a little bit before we go for a run. And then when the sun starts to come up, I'm ready to put my running clothes on. I've already had, you know, two hours <laughs> of my day and I'm ready to run. So, um, yeah, I, I like to sleep, but I also love to live. I love to make the most of my day. You know, you know, you mentioned eat light and eat early. I think that's good advice for anybody that eats food. It doesn't matter what their diet is. That's one of the, I, I just hosted a GI health summit and I think that is great advice for whatever people are eating. Yeah, it is. And it's the way I've lived my life, a lot of my life. And I think that's another reason why I'm not aging prematurely. Yeah. Um, if, if Colleen wants to know, do you have a stove? I do have a stove. You know, for years, I have my house in California still, and only a few years ago did I ever fire up my stove. I had that house, I have had that house for 20 years, and for probably 16 years, I never touched the stove. It was covered with big bowls of fruit all the time, and the, the oven had other things in it. I never used my stove, but, um, but I started cooking more um, as, when I started running. And uh, I just wanted a little bit more variety and I need, felt like I needed more calories. And that's when I really started eating like things that you had to cook, like potatoes, for example, and yams. And, uh, but yeah, we ate primarily a raw diet for, I don't know, at least 15 years or longer. Wow. You know, that's the thing, you know, 
I find that, you know, when I eat raw, I've got to eat so much more. And I already eat a lot in terms of volume, but I find like, how do you guys get satiety? This is what I always wonder. Cause for me, like the most satiating thing is sweet potatoes. That's my favorite food. And when I eat, you know, and I know it's, it's, it's like, I, I'm really good friends with Robbie Barbero and, and he loves just eating fruits and vegetables, but I, it's just, you have to eat more. Yeah, you do have to eat more. You have to eat more. Um, but I eat avocados. I probably eat an avocado a day. I love avocados and there's plenty of calories in that. And, um, and I also love sweet potatoes. I don't eat them every day, but I do love them. And our dogs love them too. <laughs> and I, I say our dogs, we have a dog and a cat, but we pretend she's a dog because Dan used to be allergic to cats, horribly allergic to cats. And he's not anymore. And well, he's not allergic to this one anyway. So, um, but we pretended that she was a dog so that he would be allergic to her. <laughs> so <laughs> we call them dogs. Anyway, um, yeah, you do have to eat more. We eat, um, but you know, like our smoothie, we eat a huge amount of smoothie every day. And there's a lot of calories in fruit um, and, uh, and uh, not a, probably not a lot of calories in our juice, but it doesn't take the place of a meal. We don't, we don't substitute our juice meals for juice or the other way around juice for meal um it's our beverage it's a beverage and we drink a lot of juices and in fact we we do like apple mint juice and um, pineapple lime and so we do a lot of juices and that there's a lot of calories in fruit right. a lot of people are afraid of eating fruit and i just think i don't know for me i don't have any problem eating fruit i can eat a lot of fruit dan and i will sit down and have one watermelon between us no problem. And, and that's just a snack. <laughs> I know I need a whole watermelon, not in one sitting, but definitely in a whole day. There's a question. What do you do with your pulp from leftover that is leftover from juicing? Well, I, I do make when I, I have kind of a, a rhythm of how I juice so that I can you put the, some of the pulp in a, in a broth. I make a broth and I cook a lot of things in broth and then drink the broth. So like even if I'm going to cook potatoes and say I'm going to boil potatoes, I boil them in broth. And then I also have potato water in broth and, and use that. If I'm making a green soup, I'll use that. Um, I did that earlier today. Um, so I do that. I also give some of the pulp to our dog, Coco. She's a runner too. And she loves, she loves to have her smoothie and she loves green juice. And, and I can put pulp in her food as well, which I don't cut any of her other food out. She still had plenty of nourishment. But um, sometimes if I'm making a, a bread or a cracker that requires carrots, I'll make a carrot beet uh, juice and, and keep the carrot pulp and, and use that for crackers. Carrot pulp is great in crackers. And um, I've made, I've used the beet pulp in brownies and raw brownies. They, beet pulp is great in brownies. Um, but I'll tell you the truth, on, most of the time, most of the pulp goes into my compost. It goes to making more earth and I don't feel too bad about it, but I do make as much use out of it as I can. Nice, nice. There's a question. What do you like to put in your smoothies? We use all the colors of the rainbow. We make sure that we have red, like um, strawberry, for example, orange, um, which might be mango or papaya. Um, we use blueberries. Wild blueberries are the best, but right now we're not getting wild blueberries here. So we're using um, blackberries, moras, they call them. Um, we put um, curcuma, which is turmeric. We have we grow it here uh, in our, our yard. Uh, so we have that and we use aloe vera. Also, we have it here. Um, we 
put spirulina in and um, we make it actually with green juice, by the way, that's the liquid that we use because I make a ton of green juice in the morning and we actually do put that in our smoothie as well as a whole bunch of other uh, greens like um, uh, dandelion, spinach, kale, um, parsley, lots of parsley. It's such a good source of vitamin C. Um, and so we put a lot of parsley in and what other greens do we use, Dan? Cilantro, lots of cilantro because it's such a good chelator. You know, it really gets rid of heavy metal. So we eat a lot of cilantro and we put it in our smoothies and our juices. Um, and uh, let's see, what else do we put? Dan sitting here. What else do you put in the smoothie? Dan is in charge of making the smoothie every morning. Uh, bananas, oh, bananas, pitaya. Yes, we put pitaya, which is dragon fruit. Purple. Uh-huh, that's a good purple color. Um, yeah, and, and we make a full Vitamix, full all the way to the brim uh, Vitamix, and that's what we have between us in the morning. First, we start with lemon, hot lemon water, 16 ounces, and then we do 16 ounces of celery juice um, before we have our, our smoothie. Wow, that's amazing. You mentioned Victorus. In case people don't know a lot about raw food, who, who, who is he? Well, Victorus and, and Dr. Ann Wigmore started... Um, Clint, raw living clinics. Um, and they started in Boston. I believe they started in Boston. They started, they might not have started in Boston, but then they opened one in Boston and also one in Puerto Rico. And um, he's written many books, um, Survival into the 21st Century, which is a cult classic, and, uh, and many others as well. And he, he and Dr. Ann are known as the father and mother of raw living foods. Oh, well, you must be the godmother then. I'm yeah, the fairy you. godmother. Godmother. Yeah. Well, you People know, uh, so one of the I start, Okay, sorry. That's okay. Yeah. They, they think of me as the mother of gourmet, Rob. Yes, absolutely. Which is, which is not what um, Dr. Ann and, and Victorus were all about healing. Um, and they, the food didn't have to taste good. In fact, Dr. Ann wanted to wean you from the whole idea of food having to taste good. It's, it's you know, you eat it to be healthy. <laughs> right, well, that's sort of like the difference between eating to live and living to eat. And I think it wasn't a chap of lane who said, if it tastes good, spit it out. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't I don't that one. I, I, I'm a foodie. I like food to taste good. It's gotta taste good for me. But I know that I can make really delicious food that's also nourishing and nurturing my body. Oh my God. And you know what I remember most about you is your desserts. And, and I don't know if you know this story. I, what I love about this show is reconnecting with people that are important to me in my life. But it was 2012, September, and you were making a dinner at the San Francisco Veg Fest. And that is when I started my ultimate weight loss journey. Because when I knew you at first at Living Land, I was 50 pounds heavier. And so I eat a very, well, what other people would call a strict diet. For me, it's abundant, but I avoid things like sugar in any form, whether it's raw or not, and flour and, and oil and all that stuff. That's part of the secret to, to me. I follow it what I call an abstinent-based program. And this is kind of funny. The people that are in my, my programs know this, but it was September of 2012. And you were a presenter, I was a presenter. And my mentors, Dr. Goldhammer and Dr. McDougall were presenters. And I was there with Ann Wheat, the owner of Millennium Restaurant. She was my host. And she had bought us tickets to have that dinner that Saturday night. You catered this beautiful raw food dinner. And I had started my weight loss journey on January 2nd of that year. And I was very strict. I hadn't had any relapses or anything like that. And I was on this program. And um, 
the dessert that you made that night was literally my favorite dessert of all time. You made a raw vegan tiramisu. And I, I, that was my favorite dessert before I was vegan. That was my favorite dessert as a vegan. And so I did not want to partake in it because it wasn't really on my plan because it had things in it that I no longer ate. And so I remember saying to myself, well, you know, I'll just taste it just to, just to see what the recipe is. And of course, any food addict knows that that doesn't work because I ate the whole piece and then I ate somebody else's piece. And then I got so sick because I wasn't used to eating anything rich. And then I had two of these pieces. And I remember going out to go to the restroom and the first two people I saw were McDougal and Goldhammer standing next to each other. I'm like, okay, that's a sign. I'm not doing that anymore. So I tell that story quite a bit, but that was the only time I ever went off plan in eight years was for you, Sherry, because you make the most delicious desserts. Oh, thank you. Well, I have, to, I have a, a, a confession. That is, I don't eat them. I, I make, yeah, I can make great desserts, but I don't eat them. I'll have one bite just to taste it. Just, you know, but that's all. I, I, I never have liked sweet foods. I don't like sugar. I don't, to me, like when I was a kid, I went to a birthday party. I always gave my frosting to whoever wanted it because to me, it was just like sweet grease. I have never liked that. So. So it's easy for me. That's funny. That, that, you know, there's an old saying, don't get high on your own supply. But I was working as a pastry chef for five years and I had to quit if I wanted to maintain my abstinence. Did you ever have any weight or health problems? Oh, I had health problems when I was growing up. That's why I, I decided to, to, you know, change my diet and change my life. But I never had a weight problem. No, I'm still, I still weigh the same as I did when I was in my early 20s. Nice. You know, um, one of the guests I recently on the show I reconnected with was my acting teacher from 35 years ago. Her name is Joan Darling. She was the director of the Mary Tyler Moore show and she won Emmys. And, you know, one of the questions I said, like, who can you like, do you have any success stories? Because, you know, you've had lots of students. Do you have any uh, ones that you're especially proud of that went on to do great things? Oh, my gosh. You know that over 50 of my students have written published cookbooks. So, yeah, I, I couldn't even begin. Chad Sarno, it, you know, most people know who he is. It start, he started a great company. He's opened a lot of restaurants. Elena Love, um, lots and lots of, I, I hate to, I hate to mention people and then leave somebody out, honestly. Um, you? How about you? Yeah, no, I've got, I've got three books published, the fourth coming up. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was very exciting for me to, one day I was, one time I was doing, um, a presentation at um, some convention, I don't remember, and they asked me to do something about the evolution of, of, uh, of, of plant-based foods. And I could just do, even just with what we had done with Living Light, to find out how many cookbooks there are now, uh, raw cookbooks, for example. That's how come I knew that at that time, and that was about eight years ago, there were over 50 raw food recipe books that were that were, that were published from my students alone. The, the amount of books that are on the market now that are plant-based is just staggering. There used to be like that. There was Back to Eden. That was the one, Back to Eden, when I first started doing this. And um, I'm not, it seems like there was one other one. I can't even remember what it was, but they were nothing like the way we prepare food today, completely different. Um, so it's come a long way. And it's exciting. It's exciting for me to have been a part of it. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Dina wants to know if you eat nuts and seeds and how much. 
I do eat nuts and seeds. Um, not a lot. Um, when I make kale chips, I use cashews because I, I blend the cashews and with all my spices and depending on what flavor profile I want. Um, it coats the, the kale so nicely when I dehydrate it. I have a really crispy, wonderful kale chip. Um, and, um, and sometimes I'll use, I'll use nuts to make a, 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 a sauce. Uh, but I'm not a real nut heavy chef. I, I don't, I don't use a lot of them, but yes, I do. I do eat nuts and seeds. If I'm making Asian food, I use a lot of sesame seeds and, um, uh, I made some, some almond cheese the other day, uh, for a salad that I was making. Yeah, but not a lot. Yeah. So people really want to know what you eat, like all the, that, that they don't want to just know from you, every guest, what do you eat? Like, could you like, what's a day? I know we know you start with the lemon water, then the celery juice, then the smoothie. Yes. And we, and I have a lot of green, you know, big green juice and a lot of other juices throughout the day. Um, last night for dinner, we had a roasted, um, a roasted uh, squash soup. And for lunch, and, and with kale chips, <laughs> and for lunch, before that, we had a beautiful salad that Dan made, really huge, uh, uh, huge salad. So we had something, besides our other foods, our other juices and smoothies and everything that we had throughout the day and the salad, that was all raw. Although he did um, blanch some asparagus, or a quick blanch on the asparagus, but everything else was raw that was in that salad, huh, Dan? Yep. And we had sauerkraut, which I always make sauerkraut. Um, and uh, and then for dinner, we just had the light soup. Um, it didn't have any didn't have any cream or avocado or anything in it. I roasted squash and onions and blended it with my own broth, which um, always adds a, a, another flavor profile. Did I put anything else in that soup? We must have put something else. Oh, nutritional yeast and a little bit of salt. Not very much because you don't need a lot with with um, if you roast vegetables, they don't need a lot of salt. They get so much fl the flavors become so condensed. First, I first I I um, uh, steamed it. I, I steamed it and then I roasted it. Nice. That sounds great. I you know when, every time I've asked somebody that's written the cookbook, they go, "You can't ask that. That's like saying who's your favorite child." But is there a recipe of yours that you've created that either is your favorite or that you're just the most proud of? Wow. Cashew cheese. Well, okay, Dan says cashew cheese, and that's because um, I was the first person, I think, who started making cheeses out of nuts and seeds. And it wasn't cashew at the time, it was almond. Um, and I, I peeled them and, and made cashew cheese. And I did it because I was looking for a cheese that was better than, you know, at that time, there really weren't any good cheeses. Now Miyoko has fabulous cheeses. You know, at that time there were no other cheeses that were plant-based that were worthy of eating. And, uh, but when I first started uh, vegetarian cooking, um, there was a recipe on the cover of Sunset Magazine and it was a, a pesto tort that was made with layers of cream cheese. And I made it and all, everybody loved it and I took it to every potluck. And then when I start, started going all plant-based, then I changed it to a tofu cheese that I made. Um, and then when I went raw, I had to come up with something else. And so I tried every, I tried using white, like northern beans and grains and all different kinds of things. And I came to 
I found out that the best cheeses that I could make were made from nuts. And Ann Wigmore was making a fermented sunflower paste that turned kind of gray brown and had a very sharp flavor. But nuts that like um, almonds and cashews actually were very delicious and very, very um, remarkably versatile because I could dehydrate them and I could do all kinds of different things with them. And so I would say probably, yeah, I would probably say nut cheeses um, have gone the farthest around the world. I've had so many people tell me that they couldn't have done it without the, without the nut cheeses. And, and I use a probiotic. I don't just call it a cheese. I don't just put lemon, lemon juice in it because that's a pate. I actually ferment it, culture it, and, uh, and so that it, it's easy to digest and it's delicious and versatile. Right. Um, is the recipe for your raw vegan tiramisu anywhere? Just so I make sure I don't look at it and <laughs> I just want to not look at that and ever make it. Uh, it's those many, many hundreds of recipes that I've never published. And wow. I do still have in, my, in the back of my mind that I am going to do some more recipe book, writing books. And that's one of the reasons why I, we built a huge kitchen, a beautiful kitchen for me to experiment and have fun with and invite chefs to come and play with me. And we have a guest house. So um, I'm, I'm, st I'm looking forward to the next phase of my life. Right. Well, when you do that, maybe you'll come back and, and I'd love to see you, you, you play in the kitchen. There's a question, which Nakiri knife would Sherry recommend? Um, a Nakiri knife. Nakiri okay. knife. That, I don't know what that is. Or maybe Nikiri just, knife. yeah, either what, maybe what knife do you recommend? I, I use a Mac knife, a Santoku Mac knife. And it's, do you remember the number it is, Dan? My Santoku? 765. 65? Maybe it's a 65. Um, 6.5 inches. Yeah. Um, I used a Hinkle Chef knife, French style French knife for years and years. And then um, Mac knife sent me this Santoku knife. And I didn't even try it for the first, I don't know, six months. I didn't, because I was like, no, I just use a Hinkle. And as soon as, I, as soon as I tried it, I was in love. And that's what I use now. Right. The person saying, I don't know what a Nakiri knife is, but it's for vegetable prep. They're saying they're left-handed. So. Ah, well. The, the, you can use a left-handed Santoku knife because we used to teach our, our, our um, knife skills class and we had plenty of people who were left-handed. And, and there's a book, um, what was the textbook that we used in that class, Dan, that has all kinds of illustrations for, and, and, and it illustrates the right-hand version and the left-hand version. So we were able to teach people who were lefties without any problem at all. Um, the, the thing is, is that you need to have a knife that is, that, that is evenly shaped on both sides, not just on one side. So in other words, if you're right-handed, you can use a knife that, is, that only is an angled on one side, and then the other side has to be for a left-hander. Or you use a knife that's both, and then either right or left can use it. Nice. Um, yeah. What uh, people are asking if you make your own sauerkraut and, and Janet wanted to know how you make your chai. I make, yes, I do make my own sauerkraut. I make sauerkraut and kimchi and I, I like the purple cabbage because I like to get as much color in my diet as possible. So um, with all the phytonutrients that are available out there. So uh, I use purple, purple cabbage for my sauerkraut and I use uh, Napa cabbage for my kimchi. And my chai is I use um, Ceylon whole cinnamon, that's the base, and then um, cardamom, either black cardamom or white cardamom, 
and uh, ginger, turmeric, black pepper, and um, I'm missing something, um, clove. And uh, yeah, I think that's about it. That's the base. And then I use um, 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 uh, ruibu. Ruibu is a, a wonderful herb that you can use in place of green tea uh, or black tea in chai or anything. And it's just really good for your heart. It's a really great herb uh, called And I use that in my chai so that I don't, um, don't take in caffeine. Nice. What, what do you guys use for salad dressings on your daily salads? Um, I make a lot of different kinds of salad dressings. I don't want to get caught up on doing the same salad dressing all the time. I, I do use some olive oil, um, good quality olive oil. Uh, sometimes I don't use olive oil at all and I just use a little bit of balsamic vinegar or lime juice. Um, if I'm making something like one of my favorite things to make when I'm here in Costa Rica is a fruit um, ceviche. So you make a ceviche just like you would with fish, but instead you use either mango or, or, um, or uh, papaya. And so uh, for that, all you need to have is lime, lime juice. You don't need to have any other kind of, any kind of fats or even avocado. I like to put avocado in it because my ceviche, my, my fruit ceviche, I love to have avocado. Um, but it doesn't need, you know, when you're making fruit salads like that, you don't need any kind of oil, nice. anything to make it clean. Right. Well, now that I know you eat balsamic vinegar, if you ever get back to the States, let me know because every guest on this show that's in the United States gets two free bottles of my favorite vinegar. It's just that I can't get it shipped out of the United States right now because of the pandemic. Yeah, well, I have a house in, in uh, Fort Bragg, you know. Well, but, in but, California. But, but, I, but, why, but who would I send it to? I mean, like, wouldn't you need you send my, No, you send my address and, and, and it'll get shipped here. So I can have a set, I can have it shipped to Fort Bragg. Yes. Well, great. Cause that's good. Cause I know that some of the raw chefs that I've had on don't, don't do vinegar and that's fine, but that's, the, see, I'm glad I asked. So I, there's a, I, usually I say before the show, is there anything I shouldn't ask, but there's a couple of questions that might be perceived personal. Do you want me to ask them and you can not answer or do you just, I mean, like they want to know what your cholesterol is and your, you know, if you know any of your numbers or anything like that. And if you the take last Mm-hmm. Yeah, the last time I had my cholesterol checked, it was 130. Nice. That's good. I know there w- there's one that almost looks too personal. I better not ask it. So it's just, it's, it's a female question. So, you know, whatever. I guess okay. <laughs> ever since, ever since the, I, I still have PTSD because once I asked the guest if they were married and I got like, oh my God, the, the guest like flipped out. So I just got to be very careful these days. <laughs> I am married. I oh, no, that, that wasn't the question for you, but that wasn't, no, I mean, that, that wasn't for you. So, well, this has sure been a lot of fun. I got to tell you, catching up with you. So, um, and thank you for referring uh, Chef James uh, to me because he did a fantastic, oh my God, he was so popular. People want him back. I just don't have any openings right now, but he was fabulous. Yeah, he's a great teacher. Our students loved him. Yeah. yeah, his food looks amazing. Well, thanks so much for you do. And by the way, hi, Dan, nice to not see you, but hear you. He, he wants to hop on. But thank you so hi, much. Hey. for doing this. Hello. Well, I've got to introduce you to my one friend in Costa Rica. I think you guys would like it because, you know, especially when you get ready to uh, 
start doing stuff again, you know, you might want to use his retreat center. He's going to be on, I think, in a, in a couple of weeks. So maybe you'll, you'll, you can see him then. So thanks so much, uh, Sherry. It was so great catching up with you. And thanks for all this wonderful work you've done in, in helping people become healthier and, you know, just all the stuff you do and looking Thank great you. and feeling great. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Come back tomorrow at 11 a.m. Pacific time when we have an amazing cooking demo from the speedy vegan, Chef Elspeth Feldman. And she's going to be making a whole roasted cauliflower with a tahini sauce and making two recipes from my newest book, Own Your Health, including the double mashed potato strata and the baked apples with date shake. Thanks again, Sherry. Be well. Bye-bye.